creative journey It's easy to get lost But don't worry, you'll lift off Sometimes you just need a creative pep talk Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza! Do you ever get the unsettling notion that things are just not quite adding up in your creative practice the way that they should be? Like maybe your following or your finances or your opportunities just don't even seem to come close to, you know, your talent or at least your effort. Or, you know, you've had major creative breakthroughs, but they just haven't transferred to breakthroughs and opportunities like you were certain that they would. One way or another, the math is just not adding up and being in that zone is incredibly frustrating. I've been there plenty of times in my own practice. The amount of creatives I've seen who have these extreme levels of talent but diminishing or lackluster results that end up making them want to just pack it all up and just forget about it is outrageous and it drives me crazy and it genuinely keeps me up at night uh, thinking about how can we get this equation to just be a little bit more satisfying. And sadly, I would say with creative people, I think that is much more the norm than the exception. Uh, but I do not think that it has to be the case. In this episode, I wanna share a model for organizing your practice, no matter how jumbled and backwards it may feel, so that you can start to get this math to add up and start to compound with the momentum that we're all after in our creative practice. You know, we live in this era, I believe, where we don't have to create art in a kind of factory assemblage way for only the mass market where you have to sell to millions and billions of people to be financially viable or to be viable as a creative practice or to be satisfied in the connections that you're making. Like I think if you organize your practice properly, that you can have a thriving practice without being famous as a creator. I don't think that is a prerequisite to live a life making the kind of creative you wanna make. So if that sounds like, if you want to get the math to make more sense, uh, to be more realistic, but ultimately be more satisfying, this is the episode for you. We're going to get to that just after a quick word from the sponsors. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. I 
really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. Before we jump into chapter one, I just want to give a little overview. We're currently doing a creative summer school series. This is the last episode, episode five. We have three classes on Skillshare. They all expound on the three biggest ideas of this podcast to date. Class one is about how to use strategic personal projects to get the opportunities you want, to break into the market or industry that you're trying to break into. Class two is more of on the creative side of the spectrum, where it's really about finding your own style as an artist. And, and uh, you know, that class has just been outrageously successful, and it's been incredible to see the results and, and the enthusiasm around it. Very proud of all of these classes. Class three is about how to turn your, you know, your personal project and your, as you work through it, your style into an actual practice, into a, how to be a career creative using the internet and social media. This series, the creative summer school series is a result of realizing how these three classes actually work super well in tandem with each other in a specific way. And I wanted to share with you the framework for understanding how all these pieces fit in a, in a, in a broader sense. So one, determine the project you want to do Two, learn how to trust yourself enough and use your voice as you work your way through that project. That's kind of class three and finding a style and, and, a, and a voice along the way. And three is once you've done that, once you have like some work that you're pumped about, some other people are pumped about, and you just need to turn it into an actual practice, that's when you need this episode and that third class. This episode is for anyone who feels like they have signs that they're doing the right thing, but they just can't seem to build a sustainable practice on the back of it. If you know what you want, you've been building a portfolio of work that's developed a style in, in your, your own like little creative world, it, but it's not getting the results you want, this is the episode for you, and this is the last episode of our Creative Summer School series. Chapter one, it looks like a fan. It acts like a fan. It must be a windmill, right? <laughs> that's, the, that's the first title. The first step to 
getting all that creative math, which does sound like an oxymoron. Maybe that's why we get it wrong. Creative math. That's weird. Uh, the first step to getting it to add up to get the results to match the enthusiasm of your audience and how you feel about your own creative breakthroughs, it's to realize that appearances may be deceiving. That's the first thing that I think you really have to own up to. If you were all of a sudden dropped into this world and it was an alien world, it would be completely understandable if you got things a little bit backwards. As a visitor to an alien world, I think we would all feel like giving you a little bit of empathy and grace and, and room for mistakes. Like if you were dropped into this world and it was completely alien to you and you saw like a giant windmill in the middle of fields, like wind turbine, and you noticed that when the windmill was turning faster, the wind was also stronger it would be super understandable if you guessed that the windmill actually made it windier, as if wind turbines were actually just huge, giant fans. Like, I actually feel like thinking they're just giant fans that are making it windier, like that would make more actual immediate sense than what's really happening which requires somewhat of an understanding about how energy can't be created or destroyed. And we're using these huge devices to harness natural energy. Like that's not the first guess that you would have. The appearance and the reality are not correlated in the way that you might expect on first blush. You see a giant fan, you're gonna assume it's making these things pretty breezy. Like, look at that giant fan, come on. It's gonna be making things breezy, right? Like that just makes total sense if that was the first time you'd ever seen it or encountered it. But of course, that is not true. Like just because it looks like a giant fan doesn't mean it's the breeze that you think it is. What looks like a giant fan doesn't always equal a breeze. But we wouldn't be surprised if this world was alien to someone if they got it wrong. We'd give them a little slack. We'd give them a break. We're not going to laugh or think this creature's super dumb. It's an alien world. It's totally new. How would they know? Give it some time. Dig in deeper. Fi figure it out. Like we would totally have compassion. And this windmill causing the wind is actually a classic example used to explain the idea of reverse causation. Essentially, it's this idea that when there is a strong correlation between two things, we're going to assume, we're going to make up the story, and the story is just going to be what feels most obvious. We're going to assume the causation, like one's causing the other, or this is their relationship. Put more simply, when we see the same two things together over and over again, we're going to try to figure out, like, how are these two things related? And sometimes our best guess is way off. And it's really good to be aware of the fact that what you see isn't always what you get and looks can be deceiving. And maybe you found in your own life that it's necessary to separate how things appear to be on TV or social media and the way that things actually are in real life. Because it's super easy to assume that a musician with millions of streams is a millionaire or at least a hundred thousandaire. And an artist with half a million followers has to be at least half a millionaire. But it's important to remember, and you actually know this, that it's 
easy to assume that one metric correlates or causes another, but that's not always true. Like followers doesn't always, it doesn't automatically correlate with money at all. And money doesn't always correlate with happiness. And according to the law of transitive property of equality, A does not equal C either. So A doesn't equal B, B doesn't equal C, C doesn't equal A, AKA. <laughs> Lots of followers doesn't necessarily mean buckets of happy. My name is Happy Buckets. And we think, man, this artist has so many fans. They must be rich. What a life. They must have so much time to make their art with that giant fandom. And the problem is when you don't see that followers or streams or awards or whatever don't equal the creative practice you want, two terrible things can happen. Number one, you can get all those followers. You could like spend and waste enormous amounts of energy trying to reach a super unsatisfying goal that I've actually seen people do who the journey so took it out of them that they had to give up once they reached their goal. Or even more likely, number two, you never get the thing that you're after because it's it, what you're after is uh, the exception to the rule, unlikely, you never get the followers or, or whatever you, whatever you falsely correlate with success and you blame your struggles on something that never would have alleviated them in the first place. And you give up because you believe that the thing that would unlock everything you want is unattainable. And therefore the thing that you need is unattainable as a creator. But what if you start to see that just because it looks like a giant fandom doesn't mean that it's the breeze that you think it is? Like in the same way that you see a, a giant fan out in the fields and as it gets turning faster, just because it gets breezier doesn't mean it, the breeze isn't what you think that it is. And in that same way, when you see an artist that has amassed an insane following, has a giant fandom, it doesn't mean that it's the breeze that you assume that it is. It doesn't always correlate with the results that you're going to assume. And it's not also a shock that we get this wrong. Like you shouldn't be so down on yourself or lack self-compassion and empathy to have to spend a little extra time trying to dig deeper and figure out what's actually going on here. Like when you just go try it and it doesn't work the first time, like maybe you should give yourself a little break because social media is still in its infancy. The internet the, and even off the internet, the way that the industries are right now uh, are so different than they've ever been. These phones that are in our pockets have changed the world entirely and that means that the world that exists now is completely different to the one from five to ten to fifteen years ago and so in a way it actually is an alien world that we've all just been dropped into and so we'd all be forgiven and understood in accidentally assuming that just because it looks like a giant fandom doesn't mean that things are breezy. Doesn't mean that it's creating a breezy environment for that creator. 
And the same goes for you. If you amassed that kind of following or whatever it is you think is going to meet your need. The first step is to be really clear about what is the truth? What's but what is below the surface here? How do these things actually work? What are the value of them? Because I'm not going to lie. Having a giant fandom can be an incredible piece to a creative practice, but it doesn't always equal that when you don't know what its actual value is. Just because giant wind turbines don't make it breezy doesn't mean that they don't serve an even better purpose. And so I'm not telling you just give up on all these things and just assume, but I also, I'm not telling you need a giant fandom. I don't think that you do. But have a little compassion on yourself. Like you were literally dropped in this alien world. Our whole species was. We did not develop to exist in this time or for all of this to make total common sense. Now, I feed my three kids and I pay my mortgage with my practice that does nearly all of its business in this alien world. So I've made it my business to try and figure out these things and how they're actually correlated. And I don't have all the answers. It's impossible to. The answers change every single day with every new app and every new feature within the app and, you know, equation in the algorithm. You're never going to get all of that math to add up just how you think it should. But what I do think I have is a tool that's a business tool that hasn't changed in decades, maybe centuries. I don't know. I don't have all that math worked out, but it's an adaptable tool that has the same rules every year that can help you understand how new fans become true fans and become satisfied in what you create and equal money that fuels and finances your practice. Now, let me tell you about this extremely old, unsexy tool and why it has helped my creative practice so much. ready to challenge the correlations and the causations between a hit on the radio or a hit on Spotify or streams and money and money and happiness and followers and jobs and all that stuff. If you're ready to just throw all those assumptions, throw every assumption into the trash, forget what you think you know. Chapter two, let's take the fun out of funnels. Forget what you know about funnels. (laughs) Okay, I promise, no matter how unfun this chapter title is, I assure you that it is not a drag in the slightest. That's not why I named it that. When we get to the call to adventure action portion of this episode, that section of this episode is so freaking juicy, I can barely stand it. But we have to go through this before we get there. And the tool I was alluding to in the previous chapter is what we call a marketing funnel. Funnel. And I actually do think once you get past the nastiness of its name and all the slimy weirdos on the Facebook ads that you've seen talking about it, I actually do think it is kind of fun when you get really clear on how to use it. Seriously, I I mean, maybe I'm just a freak, but I think it's kind of like a creative puzzle in its own right. And, uh, And it, but I think you can only really embrace that if you see its purpose and how useful it can be to your creative practice. All right. But 
as I prepared this section and I started to feel like, oh man, creators are going to totally barf when they hear the word marketing funnel. Funnel. I better jazz it up. We better make this section called putting the fun back into marketing funnels. Uh, yeah, come on guys. It's time to get funky with funnels. It's time to get funnels. No, I want to cut the crap. I want to take the fun out of it. And here's why. Because I saw a tweet the other day about how illustration rates haven't changed since the 80s. Like a book cover in the 80s paid you $4,000, the same as you would make today if you were lucky. Like it didn't even, even close to grow with inflation. Used, used to be that if you did a book cover, you could buy a car. Like, you know... <laughs> maybe a used car. I don't know how much cars cost in the 80s, but I know they cost a lot less than they do now, but we're still getting paid the same amount of money. Don't even get started on editorial illustration. Good, goodness gracious, it's dire. And I'm sure there's a whole bunch of reasons why that is that I don't fully understand, but I'll tell you how it hit me. It hit me in this way of saying, this anti-money approach that we have developed as artists in the world that we find ourselves in, which is, is if you're in America, at least, it's a capitalist world. Uh, and, and if you're in Canada and you're in Britain or wherever else you might be, it might be a mixture of socialism and capitalism, but it's probably still got business as a big part of what drives your economic structure of your country. If not, let me know. I'd love to hear about this land because um, I like just drawing stuff. But uh, the world that we live in, Having this anti-money approach is not helping us. And, you know, this idea that I don't want to hear or talk about money, I see money as a bad thing, it is destroying you as a creator. And let me be completely and utterly clear. I am not saying that I think our economic system is fair or just or that money doesn't complicate things. The money systems in our world are totally broken. I could not agree with that more, but we, as artists, we still live and breathe and use the system that we are in right now. Take whatever measures to change things that you can, but until things change, our kids still need to be taken care of. And when you plug your ears and you say, I'm not listening. I'm not listening. I don't want to hear anything about money. Do you know what those who love and understand and want lots of piles of money see when they see that artist with their fingers in the ears, refusing to even open their mind up to how these financial systems work. They don't see a protester. They don't see a subversive change maker. They see an opportunity to exploit and undermine and take advantage of you because you are incredibly valuable to the economy. And they'll tell you, don't, oh, don't, oh, fine. Yeah, you don't want to get into the money. That's fine. To, you know, I get it, man. Like, don't worry about the money. Let us take care of that. Yeah, all that money just is going to ruin your creative process anyway. You don't need to worry your little tiny artist brain about that. You worry about the art. We'll take care of that unfun stuff. Look, nobody is a bigger fan of anti-money artists afraid of selling out like not me, like people who want to exploit artists. That's who, nobody loves them. Nobody loves that kind of artist like those people. 
Meanwhile, in super creative industries like the music industry, where that maybe some of these ideas even originated, while musicians were busy focusing solely on the music and avoiding selling out at all costs, the helpful money people, those record execs were busy creating a model that meant everyone in that ecosystem got rich besides the musician and ultimately created an ecosystem where it's virtually impossible to make an actual dime on your music. If you have 100,000 streams of a song on Spotify, should you earn $100,000? Probably not. That seems a little bit steep. I mean, a dollar a listen, that's kind of insane, right? But come on, be realistic. How about one cent? I actually think that's not awful. That would be like $10,000 for 100,000 listens for the artist. And I think that's, you know, that's, that's reasonable. That's pretty fair. But no, they don't even earn as little as 0.003 cents at times per stream. That's $300 for 100,000 people enjoying your song. $300, which in the year 2020, after taxes and healthcare means you can maybe get groceries for half a week. Yay! So, yeah, meanwhile, that artist hasn't sold out, though. That's the good news. They don't need to get caught up on all that math stuff. They can focus on what really matters, how to find food and shelter and stay alive in an economy that does not give a crap because you're not going to be thinking about your music. You're going to be thinking about your next meal. So until we dramatically change the economic system of the world, it is safe to assume that money doesn't primarily complicate the creative process. It enables it. Seriously, in a world where you pay 50 monthly subscriptions and you owe rent and utilities every single month, your time literally as it ticks is a cash register going ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Like time is actually money and time freaking matters to creators. And not only that, those half of those subscriptions are you paying for creative stuff, but also killing two birds at the same time because not only are you getting great creative stuff, you're also lining the pockets of billionaires. Like, awesome, right? No. And look, yes, it's true. The left brain loves money, numbers, profits, goals, KPIs, BS, all that stuff. And it can't be let into the sacred space of making, but the space around actually making the work needs to flood into those places. If you don't let that, all of that stuff take a bit of space around your practice, they are going to take as much advantage of you as they possibly can. And they're gonna do so by you refusing to take your fingers out of your ears when you hear numbers, when you hear money, when you hear percents. Look, I hate all that stuff. You know, it's not fun to me. But as I've started to see that business is also a creative problem in its own right and, and saw that if I can figure out how to navigate my way through these waters, that my creativity actually stands to flourish if I do so. So no, we will not be putting fun back into funnels. I actually want to change that whole mindset. We'll be taking it out. So for, so let's learn about marketing news. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to say, I'm not going to say the fun and funnels ever yeah, again man. after that last time that I just said it just then. 
From now on, I'm calling funnels just nulls. After that one, that was that was the actual last one. Why marketing nulls? If you are a creator, I feel strongly building your own ecosystem is the smartest thing you can do for to future-proof your business, to make a good, stable living that can be consistent. And when I say marketing all I mean is a model for understanding how your creative practice makes money. For understanding, just all, all marketing is, is understanding the causation and correlation of all the different things that a creator does. And the reason these are so important for any business is that for a business or a practice uh, of any kind to run smoothly and grow, you have to do a bunch of things that don't directly cause earning money, but they correlate in success. Like they massively contribute to eventually being profitable. And if you don't understand the relationship between the things that don't earn money, but are essential to earning money, you won't have the motivation to do them. You'll feel like most of us who feel like we haven't even got off the starting blocks and yet we're running in 10 different directions at once when really you can organize all these different pieces into a way to see that they actually fit together as part of a linear system that gets you going the same way towards your goals. You can see that instead of feeling unintegrated, like you're doing, I'm doing that, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and none of them are actually even working or making any money, why am I doing all these different things? When you can't see the point of all the energy that you're spending, you will start to lose the energy to put into any of these things. Look, over the years, how I think of this podcast has evolved. I no longer see it primarily as like a creative career podcast. I think I see it a little bit more like a creative practice or a creative journey kind of show, but whatever you're trying to do, whether you're trying to go full-time or not, I encourage you to have the mindset of the career creative. Because I think, first of all, that the habit-based regular output of a career creative is ideal for your creative development, regardless of whether you're trying to make a living from it or not. Like, I just have a strong feeling after spending loads and loads of time with artists and, and trying to make a career and around lots of people that have thriving creative practices, I am convinced that a creative habit where you understand the things you can control and let go of the things you don't and, and actually understand how that correlation is related. The people that treat it as a practice, as a career, as a habit, those are the people that know how to get the best results from themselves and their creativity actually goes much further. So whether you're trying to make a living off of it or just a part-time income or just try to get the uh, compensated for the value that you provide, wherever you are on that spectrum, I really believe that this type of approach to creativity, the, the type of approach that's a practice rather than uh, a random hobby that you sometimes stumble into, I really believe this is the best thing for your creativity. And being anti-business, anti-money, anti-funnel is making you vulnerable, and so I'm not going to, it's not just making you vulnerable, it's also hurting your creativity. So I'm not going to apologize for getting a little markety from time to time. And I don't think you should either because this whole apologetic behavior for existing and for needing to be properly compensated for the value that you're providing, that whole mindset is the reason that you have a target on your back to be exploited by the powers that be. So if you're ready to get the fun out of funnels and get serious about your creative practice, let's talk about how to actually do it.
side, this is where it gets juicy. This so section is freaking going to be juicy. dense, but hopefully simple and really powerful. I went through this practice of kind of understanding my creative practice as a as a type of funnel, as a type of journey from getting people who have never heard about what I do to being uh, patrons of what I do. Like as I worked all of that out, I found uh, some new things that I wanted to share with you that have given me a lot of clarity on how to execute creatively recently. And I'm just super pumped to share them with you. Chapter three, call to adventure, build your funnel. So every episode we do a call to adventure, called action is to take the ideas or the things we're talking about and actually put them to practice with something you can do right as you stop listening to this show that can make a difference. Here's what I want you to do. Draw an upside down triangle. We're going to get a little visual on an audio format. So stick with me. Draw an upside down triangle like an inverted food pyramid kind of, but we're not going to divide it exactly like a food pyramid. <laughs> 90s kids and food pyramids, man. We were raised on that thing, and it was a complete sham. Anyway, <laughs> okay, draw four horizontal lines, cutting the triangle into four horizontal boxes uh, that get smaller. They should get smaller as they go down. At the very bottom of that inverted pyramid, it should be like a right triangle. Doing a lot of math. This is the mathiest, mathiest creative podcast of all time. Uh, so they should get smaller as they go down. They should, you should have four sections in that pyramid. Number them one, two, three, and four. Make sure you have plenty of space in there because we're going to put a few different things in each one. So number one at the top, the longest horizontal slab at the top. Label that strangers, but leave room to write a couple more things. Label number two, the one after that, substance. The one after that, guess what? It's going to be three. Really cooking on the math front today, baby. Uh, <laughs> number three, subscriptions. Label the last one, the little tiny right triangle. I've always loved a right triangle. All those 90 degree angles. It's not, that's 45 degree angle. I have no idea what, <laughs> I have no idea. 90 degree angles is a square, okay? That's why I'm not teaching math. Anyway, label it four. Sales. I actually did really well in geometry. It was definitely my best math because um, it was shapes. I know shapes. Okay. Label that one sales. The four S's, okay, da going down. Strangers, substance, subscriptions, sales. So we're going to touch a little bit on social media, but before you let your brain go, oh, man, let's make being an artist great again, pre-social media. Social media has ruined this whole practice before the BS of marketing funnels. First of all, be certain it has never been easy to make it as an artist, ever. There's never been a time where it's like, let's go back to the good old days before social media when it was easy to be an artist. No, that's not what it was then. Uh, second, this funnel thing has existed as long as there has been currency, including in the arts. So think of it like music, strangers at the top, those are singles on the radio. This is your most accessible work, how you get people who have never discovered you to hear about you for the first time, giving them a chance. Substance, the next one down, that's the album. That's where all your substance is. Like that's your good stuff, the deep cuts. Subscription, that's a tour. It's something that happens with a regular kind of frequency where you can have an actual connection with your 
audience. And the last one is sales, which is merchandise. All of this funnel has existed for at least 50, 60 years. I actually think if you go keep going back, this relationship in a uh, economics has always existed, probably all the way back to when artists just had patrons, maybe even more so. I actually think we're closer to that kind of world now with social media. I, I actually think the bad old days were the industrial revolution days where you had to, the only, it, it was winner takes all with creatives. The only way to make a living was to sell millions and millions and millions of records or whatever you sold. Okay. If you're on board, let's go through this for the modern artist. Number one at the top, strangers. In this box goes the way you get people who have never heard of you to hear about you for the first time. Have you ever put much thought into this? This is one of those correlation causation things. How just, it's not a bad idea to think about how, how do people typically find my work and how could I just do a little bit better job of that? There's nothing wrong with that. So put in this box the thing that you do that gets the most new people to hear about you at this time. So because we're building a practice and we're not playing the lottery, it's worth noting to build a practice, you don't need to go viral. You don't need the lottery success to be the exception for this box to work. You just need a piece of your practice. Just one, one thing that you do that gets a few new targeted strangers to come across your work for the first time on a somewhat regular basis. Do this long enough and be consistent with it enough and you will have one of the most essential parts of a thriving practice. So for me, I'd probably put in here something like uh, TikTok and books. So TikTok because online it's currently probably the place, and this is going to change soon, probably currently the easiest place to get organic traffic, aka strangers, aka people who have never, don't even know you exist to come in contact with your work for the first time. But, and this is really important, your actual art may be the thing in this box. Like for me, it might be TikTok and books. I'm a picture book maker. I, I may have made books for adults as well, all the way back to, no, I don't have another secret career making adult books. No, like there's kids books and there's books that are also, that are for adults. Um, clean books, uh, no judgment, but I, you know, um, it's not my thing. Uh, books are in this for me. <laughs> making, but where did that go? Making books is not the most lucrative way to make money as a creator. And there's nothing wrong with that. The thing that's wrong is just having the wrong correlation there and spending your time inappropriately or, or getting your expectations dashed. They are, books are super time consuming for the amount of money that you make directly from books, but they are a super great way for strangers to encounter your work for the first time. Like two big takeaways that I want you to have from this. If you don't get anything else from this episode, Get this, if you are a musician, your music might be in this category. Like I mentioned earlier, the whole music industry has been ransacked and orchestrated by people setting up a whole world to profit off your music in which everybody in that food chain gets fed other than the musicians. Like I'm not sure there's a ton we can do about that this second, but Honestly, if you will put these other practices into play, you might actually have an extra, some extra time and some extra power to make some influence and change how things are. You know, there are a lot of artists that 
protest. There are, there are songwriters that have done really incredible work, like Ross Gallen. He's done all kinds of work to get the, how musicians get credited and songwriting gets credited and how it gets paid on streaming. Like once you get in there into the fray, you actually, maybe you could change the world, but in order to get started, I think it's important to remember, like Kanye was in massive debt. Like, think about this. Millions and millions of people loved his music. He had made it as a musician in terms of what we correlate with creative success, but he still had terrible financial troubles uh, until he started his fashion line. And then he started, I don't know. I don't know how he spent it. I don't know where he's at with it, but I know that it made a, the, the thing that made the biggest difference to his economic bottom line wasn't the music. It was the merch, essentially. Why do you think the biggest money makers in music always have the people that make the most money that also make music have clothing lines because music is the way that you get them into the funnel. The money is at the bottom. The merch is in the sales bit at the bottom of that funnel. Should it be that way? I don't know, but I don't know how to, I currently don't know how to change that, especially because that's not my industry and I don't have any insight or power to influence those things. And I'm up for those conversations. And I hope that one day we do have more knowledge and influence in even tiny ways to help shift some of the ways we organize ourselves as a society. But in the meantime, I believe the path to get there is the way that it is. And I actually just from listening too many to too many philosophical podcasts. I know a lot of philosophers that hated the economic system that we have actually believe the same, that in order to make any difference, you got to play the game a little bit. So, and not to mention that, I don't know about you, but I don't know a lot of musicians that don't have a lot of enthusiasm around the fashion, around the merch, around the stuff that they sell and the, and the different components of how their creative vision uh, expresses itself. So it doesn't have to be all a downer anyway. But until the system changes, I'm going to share everything that I know that has helped me thrive as a creator or as someone who is neurodiverse in a system that was not set up to naturally benefit me, but possibly naturally profit off of me. So should we make money off our music and books? Yeah, probably. But until we do. It's not all lost. There are still ways to organize your practice that maximize your creative and financial flourishing. And I believe that making peace with the fact that whatever you think is the most important part of your creative work doesn't have to be, doesn't have to correlate with the thing that you make the most money from. I think that you can understand that practice in a different way. For me, what I believe my best work is going into right now are books, but they might not be the thing that makes the most money. But I am totally at peace with that because I understand what not only that it's it still is a valuable output just just in terms of creativity, but also in the way that it fits into the grand scheme of what I do. And I'm going to get to how I think I actually do make money and how it's related, but we're not there yet. We're going to go to number two, substance. Okay, substance. Basically, I use this word to fit with the four S's to make it easy to remember, but really I meant content, and I don't mean internet content. I mean the substance, the content, the author, the stuff that, re the really juicy good stuff, the bulk of your work, the substance, that thing that makes you legit as a creator, that's where this goes. 
So this might be your gallery show. It might be, it could be your Instagram. It doesn't, there's not any right answer, but where do you feel like your best stuff is going to exist? If the top box with strangers stuff is all about accessibility, this is about the quality of the creative work. And it's where you gain credibility and trust with your audience, with those strangers that have gone down to the next level. And for substance, I put Instagram because I think that's where I really build credibility with people as an actual artist. But as a visual artist, it might be a gallery show. It might be if you're a musician, singles might be in the top box. And the second box is your album. Like that's where your substance is. But the main thing here is, you know, you hear, I hear this question all the time. Like, how do you feel about the fact that you can't go deep with Pete, with your audience anymore because of social media and all this miniature content. I feel exactly the same. The point of the miniature content is to attract them to want to go deep, to want to go long form. You don't waste your time just going deep into long form content of people who you're not sure you should spend your life listening to. Like you don't, nobody does that. Like the form, the point of the accessible single and miniature content isn't to be the main entree. It's just the, what I always say, it's the chicken teriyaki on the toothpick in the food court that gives you a taste. So that you're like, yeah, I want the whole thing. Like that's what the miniature content is. It hasn't changed anything. We go super, super deep with the creators that we are all bought into. And, and you've got to have substance to do that. All right. The third box subscriptions. Okay. Subscriptions. Earlier, I mentioned old school version of this, which is bands going on tour. This is something you do with some level of frequency, regular frequency that reminds your audience that you exist. It keeps you top of mind. It gets you back in touch with your audience to connect. If you don't have a regular connection, you don't actually have a relationship. It could be for you that maybe gallery show could fit here because this is every few years. There is no right answer about what effort, what out, creative outlet goes where in this pyramid. It just matters that you figure out which of these pieces are serving you in which way. So you understand how they correlate with each other and where they are ultimately all leading. And it could literally be anything you want. As long as two things are true about it. One, it has some regular level of frequency. And two, this is super huge. Two, it's not mitigated by middlemen or gatekeepers in any significant way, and that is including algorithms. I know I already said this this episode, but if you only take two things from this episode, this is the second one. You gotta, at some point, get your fans out of the sandbox of big tech like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, etc. You cannot have a stable practice without a subscription-type relationship with your audience. Why can one band have worldwide hits and then disappear overnight and then the Grateful Dead can thrive even after some of the members have passed away? Like that is the subscription model. That's why the Grateful Dead never needed another hit because they didn't build their business on the radio, which was like the old school algorithm. Not only do algorithms on things like YouTube and Instagram make it so that you cannot connect with all, all of your fans at all times, but it also means you can't go deep with your fans and, and at a, in the same way that you can at a concert or in an email or on a podcast. You can go long form in 2022 if you lead them down to these subscription spaces where they want what you have. This is where the meaningful connections can happen that can last over a lifetime, like at the, at the tour, at the show. 
on the podcast in the long form. Here's what's amazing about this component of your creative practice. If you build this right, you can be like any business. Sure, every few years you may need to like revamp your dining room and update the menu, but you don't have to get incredibly lucky and reinvent the wheel over and over and create a unicorn every couple of years to stay relevant. You don't have to do that. You have to stay curious, continue to provide the creative value that you enjoy providing and creating and have developed an entire craft and practice to. It's the only human way of practicing. This is why I'm sharing freaking marketing funnels because this model is so much more human than actual other models. Like being a slave to Instagram is truly gross. It's a truly gross way to do creative business. And guess what? When you roll the dice on a post on Instagram, that's what you're doing. You're rolling the dice, man, because the algorithm is a slot machine. Social media is a casino. And the house always wins. That is the rule. So it's true in Vegas and it's true on TikTok. You are the product. You are how they make a profit. You cannot make a stable living playing that kind of roulette. Their business exists not for you, but because of you. The casino of social media is not doing you any social service. But podcasts and email lists or, or tours or any regular thing where you can connect right directly to your audience and you're not beholden to a platform or an algorithm that is extremely fickle and changes all the time. So in the same way that tours have been the main source of being viable for bands and, and in a way that record sales and radio plays are not, are not subscriptions have always been essential. And so it's not like, oh, now I have to do a podcast. You've always had to do a podcast. It just used to be called a tour. It used to be called a gallery show, but it could, it could be a podcast. It could be an email newsletter. It could be, you know, email newsletter and podcasts are great because they're both not beholden to one platform. Uh, you can subscribe in on to an email or a podcast and nobody, no algorithm is going to say, yeah, don't show them that one. We don't think they're going to like it. No robot's going to decide. You get to decide. You and the artist, that's it. Last one, sales. Okay, so you probably make money and you can, there's an ability to make money in every single box before this one, but this is where your actual cash cow exists. This is how you make the most of your money. It's how, it's what actually makes the whole thing viable. So for me personally, these are business to business clients. My illustration clients, my speaking clients, my sponsors, these are the deals that are considerable enough or even passive income that can justify all of the behaviors that I do, all the time I spend on all the previous levels. Now, this is where things get really fun. Oh, man, the fun's coming back in the funnel, y'all. The train funnel. That doesn't make any sense. But seriously, when I was going through this a couple of weeks ago, I got a whole new level of clarity that I wanted to share with you about this that just kind of just, I'd, I've just been buzzing off of funnels uh, for weeks. Um, so starting from the top box, we're going to also do this. Working way all the way down, I want you to add one adjective that describes your audience in each box going from the most wide at the top down. Let me explain. All right, here's how this works. Stick with me. It'll be worth it. 
The shape of that inverted pyramid, it's widest at the top, like an actual funnel is widest at the top to make it easier to catch all that liquid, right? So the width of the top represents the widest group of people that you are going to attract with your work. So at the top is accessibility and it works its way down and gets more specific. And you can get more specific by adding a different adjective as you work through. So you're single on the radio or on the Spotify playlist or the book you make or the post on TikTok, whatever it might be. That is the widest. It's for the widest group of people that you can possibly appeal to. For me, I put weirdos. That's the adjective of those people. I make books for weirdos, people that don't have super duper mainstream taste. Like even my kids' books are slightly absurd and weird. So in that first box, the strangers I'm attracting are weirdos. That sounds very off-putting. I'm attracting strangers, weirdo strangers. Uh, But it's true. Box two, we're going to put an adjective there but it's gonna compound with the first one to be a more specific group of people. So the top box is weirdo, the second box are creatives. And the people that I'm making stuff for on places like Instagram, that's mostly for people that would consider themselves to be weirdos, but also creative. So they're weirdo creatives in that second box. Box three, the adjective for the podcast, I would put professionals. So weirdo creative professionals, that's who's probably listening to this. And that's the adjective that I would put in that third box. They don't have to be full-time, but they are pros in the sense that Stephen Pressfield talks about in his book, The War of Art, which is less about money and more about making creative work as a habit. That's who listens to this show. But again, it concentrates the group, less people. It gets more specific as it goes down. Less people, but more ideal weirdo creative pros. And in the last box, I add the adjective clients. These are weirdo creative professionals that are clients that also have the money and power to hire me for what I do. This is a small group of people that can fund the whole practice. But for your work, if you're a musician, this could work like people who purchase sinks for TV or movies or commercials. It could just be also fans. This is how it can work with the bottom triangle that that can just be people that buy merch. This could be a thousand true fans that spend a hundred bucks because they're crazy about what you do on your work, on your merch every single year. And that's a hundred thousand dollars. Or it could be like a hundred clients that spend a thousand dollars on your work, uh, or 50 clients that spend $2,000. I don't know. I don't have all the math in front of me, but the point of this sales box is that you do, you do have the math in front of you. You do the math so that it actually starts to add up. That's what this whole thing is about. If you don't even have a way for people to spend the kind of money that you would need to stay afloat. If you don't even have options, if you don't even have a system, you don't even have choices. It's imp- it doesn't matter how incredible and unlikely your work spreads like wildfire fire and goes viral. It doesn't matter if that happens or not if you don't have these things in place to actually make a thriving practice with them. If you don't put this block into place, you will not have a thriving practice.
case, this whole thing is not a case of do what you love and the money will work out. The math works out because you do the math and you build backwards up that funnel. The funnel works because it builds out enough to catch the liquid and to make your business have the kind of cash flow and the liquidity to stay afloat. If you don't have this system in place, it won't. Artists that have this can outlive and outlast and outperform even the most widely celebrated creative geniuses or the most most wildfire viral creators. Like they absolutely crush them in the long game if you have this system. And you can do this too, whether you're a creative genius or not. And if you're not a creative genius, you have even more reason to do this to get what you actually deserve. The whole freaking economy, I really believe, owes creators from Disney to Old Spice, like everybody in between. Let's quit only doing the fun stuff and take back the stuff that you deserve. And you might say, hey, I work in house. I don't need to do this. It doesn't really apply to me. And to that, I'd say maybe that's true. But but if you do it on any level, even if you only need one true fan that pays you $100,000 a year, that that's what having a job is having or, you know, luckily that would be ideal. Having this system future proofs your business because you can look at someone like comedian Pete Holmes, who had his own very successful celebrated show on HBO that millions and millions of people watched for three seasons. And it, I think it's a good thing that he has a podcast, that he has a subscription model in his business because that he has this funnel because that show was everything for him until it wasn't. And the same goes for any big client that you're beholden to, especially a full-time job. And if I was Pete Holmes, I would have been on crashing being like, okay, this is the last season. So in season three, Pete starts a podcast so that he could, so he could take all of that attention and inject it and channel it into this funnel. And the last thing I'll say is that you do not need to build this thing overnight. If you work this out and you only have one of the four blocks going, do not start building the rest of the blocks right now. That's way too overwhelming. This process took me a decade. Pull a cold play instead, like Chris Martin in high school. Make a plan to play the stadiums. Build, like, see the full vision of all four levels if you want, if that's helpful. But then focus on filling the school auditorium. What is the next step? towards that ideal solution. Ideate what every one of these four boxes could be, and then just start on the next piece that feels natural or exciting or necessary for your creative practice. Just add the next piece that you're ready for in this next six month stretch. It all takes time, but it also, all every piece will make it better than just having the previous one. And one more thing, if you wanna take this process further, we explore all this stuff in a different way with a different perspective and on a deeper level in my third Skillshare class on social media. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music and jingle. Thanks to Connor Jones of Pending Beautiful for editing the show. Thank you to the whole rest of the Creative Pep Talk team, Ryan Appleton, Sophie Miller, Katie Chandler for all the assistance on content and, and managing this show. So appreciate your help week in, week out. 
And thanks to all of you for listening. Until we speak again, stay pepped up. Pepped up.